So after taking a break from it last week, uh, this week we jump back into our series through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we, we've been talking the whole time of what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, um, how this is Jesus establishing his kingdom. And we talked about how any form of kingdom, any form of government, if you will, has its own set of, uh, its own set of politics. And if you look at politics as being the way that human society should be arranged, and we talked about how the kingdom of God has a, has a set of politics completely different from anything else you'll see in the world and how that's the one true and correct way that we can live. But so far we haven't really got into that yet because um, the lessons so far have been kind of an introductory, getting, getting into the Sermon on the Mount, setting it up. We looked at the Beatitudes, uh, the fact that we're the, we're the salt and light of the world. Um, the fact that all scripture points to Christ and he is the fulfillment of all of it. But this week we finally get in, we finally get into Jesus actually teaching us how to live. And this is the week where things start getting pretty tough. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, um, starting in verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21. And just a little background before we jump into it. I was just talking about how the kingdom of God sets up a way for his kingdom to live. A set of politics, if you will, for his people to live out. But way before Jesus, Moses set up a way to live for the nation of Israel. Um, They had a lot of commands and laws that they had to follow. There were 613 commandments. And 10 of those 613 were far more famous than the others. And of course, we call those the Ten Commandments. I'm sure you all are familiar with those. And today we're going to take a look at the Sixth Commandment and what Jesus says about it. And in Exodus 20:13, the Sixth Commandment is simply, do not murder. And then Jesus alludes to this Sixth Commandment, where it's simply just, do not murder. And in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So Jesus, Jesus is reminiscing on what they already know. Jesus, being amongst many other things, was a Jewish rabbi, and the greatest Jewish rabbi, rabbi at that. So he's very familiar with the law. A lot of the people listening to him at this time were very familiar with the law. So it's no surprise to them that he teaches, do not murder. And murder is basically the same way that we view murder today. The actual word murder isn't just killing a general, but it's kind of uh, plotted out, out of anger, something like that. It's basically the same way that we look at murder today. It's not all killing. But, um, spoiler alert, later on Jesus will outlaw any form of killing. But for right now we're talking about murder. And just think of the way we look at murder today, and that's the way they thought of it back then. And Jesus says... You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever does will be liable to judgment. Now, in those times, back when they were following the laws, we see in the book of Numbers that um, murder was, murder led to death. It had the death penalty on it, if you will. So if you murder someone, you're going to be killed for it. And Jesus says, if you murder, you're liable to judgment, alluding to the consequences that will come from that. But then he goes on to take it even further. And he says the exact same thing about something else. So we know from old that those who murder, it's wrong, and they will be liable to judgment. In verse 22, Jesus says, But I say to you, 
But everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So first Jesus started off with teaching them something that they already knew. They can't murder. If they do, they're liable to judgment. But then Jesus takes it deeper, way deeper. And he goes as far as saying just anger is bad. And he says the same thing about it. Those who are angry will be liable to judgment. Those who insult the brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire or Gehenna. Why does Jesus take this law they knew, this uh, terrible act of murder, and say the same exact thing about something that we don't think is really all that bad? Anger. Being angry at someone. Well, I think there's several reasons that Jesus does this. One is a pretty simple one. Jesus likes to get to the root of the problem. And of course, murder, a lot of the times, will come from anger or having a vengeance against someone. So it often comes from anger. Anger is often the root that leads to murder. Um, when, I was, when I was a kid, one of my least favorite, I guess, chores or things that they made me do was to pull weeds out of the, out of the flower beds. And I just thought it was the most pointless thing ever. The weeds are just going to grow back. It's in the backyard anyway. No one's going to see it. It's, it's kind of like making your bed. What's the point of doing it? You're just going to get back in and mess it up again. So <laughs> I hated I hated having to pull weeds, but they made me do it anyway. I still hate pulling weeds, but I do it to be nice now. But that was one of my least favorite things in the world to do because it just felt so pointless. But I remember whenever, whenever they'd force me to go out and pull out weeds out of the flower beds or wherever, uh, my mom would always tell me at least 20 times, make sure you get the root. Make sure you pull it out by the root. And the reason that was, obviously, you all know this, if you don't pull the root out, it's just going to grow right back. Because the root is where it all comes from, the root's where, where all the nutrients are, where it builds up from. That's the heart of the weed. And it's the same thing with murder, according to Jesus. Murder is kind of the root. Do you want to get rid of murder? Ooh, it's easy for me to tell someone, don't murder, but then what if they get really angry and just they lose all control? Then it's, then it's kind of harder to, it's hard to control yourself in those situations. So Jesus says, we're going to pull it out by the root. Let's get to the very root. If we take out anger in general, then anger can't lead to murder because there's no anger there. There's no root. If there's no root there, then the weed can't grow back up. And we don't have to pull it again later. Jesus is more concerned about the heart of the problem. As Jesus typically is, and Jesus typically does, he cares more about what's in someone's heart than how good they act. And if you recall the parable of the rich young ruler, we see that there. Um, this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, uh, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus says, well, you know, the, you know the laws. And he repeats the Ten Commandments back to him, or six of the Ten Commandments to him. And the rich young ruler says, all these I've done ever since I was a young boy. I've kept all the laws. i followed all the rules. But we see in that parable that that wasn't good enough to get him into the kingdom of heaven. And why was it? We find out because even though he'd done everything right, he did everything he was supposed to do, followed all the laws, his heart wasn't in the right place. And that's the same thing here. Jesus cares more about where our heart is and the intention of our heart than how good we go out and act and pretend to be. You see, it's... I, for me personally, I find it pretty easy to not murder anyone. But it's not so easy to not be angry at someone. That's, that's a whole lot harder to follow. But you see, that's the root. And Jesus isn't so concerned with... He is concerned if you go out and murder people. But he's not so concerned if you're just going out and acting good and doing what you're supposed to because you're supposed to. He's more concerned with where your heart is. And if you're angry with someone in your heart, if you're holding a grudge against them in their heart, then spiritually, deep down at that level, then it's just as bad as murder because you've already killed them in your heart. You've already eliminated them from being a worthful human being because that person doesn't matter anymore. Um, I, uh, I, I knew this guy one time who was talking about these kind of passages in the Sermon on the Mount where... Um, Something like this where, well, you say you're going to murder. Well, don't even be angry. Because if you're, if you're angry, you're pretty much murdering them in your heart. And he interpreted these passages of the Sermon on the Mount to be, well, if you think it, you might as well do it. But that's, that's not what we're teaching. That's not, the correct, uh, that's not the correct interpretation of it. Jesus wants us to go down deep in our heart and take it out by the root. Eliminate anger, period. You don't have to worry about murder if you don't even get angry at the person. Because if we're, if we're holding anger, a grudge, something like that against someone, we've already murdered them in our hearts. They're already useless in our heart. We've already killed them. When we're angry with someone, we fail to see them as a child of God. We fail to view them the same way that God views them. It's where our heart is and not how good we act. Now, what if, what if it's too late for me to come up here and say, don't be angry? What if you're already angry at someone? Or maybe someone's angry at you? Well, Jesus goes into that. In verse 23, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So is there anger? Well, do something about it. And offering gift at the altar was a very, another very important law and ritual during the, during the Jewish period for the Jews. But Jesus says, that's not all that important compared to this. Being reconciled to your brother is far more important than any sacred ritual that could ever be. He says, leave your gift there. Then go. Then go to your brother and seek reconciliation. Make things right. Do whatever you can to make things right between you and them. 
And notice he doesn't say. He doesn't say if you have something against them. But he says even if they just have something against you, then it's your responsibility to go make things right. At that time, the, the, one of the biggest rituals was offering a gift to God. Today, I would say one of our most important rituals is the, is the taking of the Holy Communion. For Jesus, that's not important if you're going to be um, killing other people in your heart. If you're going to be blocking out other Christians from being a part of your life because of something that you're angry about or they're even angry at you about. So why even, why even come and take communion if you're going to hold anger or grudge in your heart? Isn't that kind of wasting your time? Jesus says, first, leave your gift at the altar. Don't worry about that right now. Then go and seek reconciliation with your brother. And he calls us to do the same thing he was telling them to do. If you have something against someone, a brother or sister, if they have something against you, then it's your, it's your duty, it's your responsibility to go and do whatever you can to fix that. If not, you're wasting your time going through all these, all these relig- religious practices and stuff because your heart's not even in the right place. And that's what matters to Christ. So far we've looked at Jesus saying, don't be angry at a brother or sister. If a brother or sister has something against you, go and make things right, even before you take part in any religious ritual, because this is far more important. And you might be thinking, okay, Jesus is only talking about other Christians, other people who are part of God's family. So we don't have to, we don't have to go and um, reconcile things with people who aren't of God, who don't know Christ. And if Jesus stopped talking right here, you'd be right. But the problem is, he doesn't stop talking there. In verse 25, he says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So up until now, he's only talked about, he's used the language brothers and sisters. So it's only talked about other Christians, other people of God. So we thought we were going to get off the hook and not worry about all the other people. But then he takes it to the next level and says, if your accuser has something against you, even someone who's taking you to court, even someone who doesn't know Christ, but if someone has something against you, it's still, whether they're a Christian or not, whether they know God or not, it's your responsibility to make things right, to make things right in your heart. This extends to all people, not just Christians, but to each and every human being, each and every child of God. Whether they've accepted it or not, all people are children of God. Whether they come to accept that, how they respond to that is a completely different question, set of questions. But God created all humans in His image. Christ loves all people, all humans, died for every one of them. So we have no right to say, well, they don't matter as much. It doesn't matter if I'm reconciled with them because they're not a Christian anyway. What does it matter? Jesus says, seek reconciliation 
in all instances. Go to the extent to eliminate anger in all instances. And sometimes that can be easier than others. Maybe someone's done something really bad to you. If it's not that bad, if it's just something small and petty, it can be easy to it can be easy to go and do it eventually. The only thing in your way there is your pride, which can be a big roadblock into seeking reconciliation. But what if it's something huge? Well, go back and look at the verse where Jesus gives the exceptions for where we don't have to go and seek reconciliation. Um, do you remember what verse that was? Oh yeah, it's not there. Because he doesn't give any exceptions. He doesn't give us exceptions. He says, Brother or sister, I have something against you. Leave your gift to the altar. Go make peace. Go reconcile with them. Someone else outside of the church has accused you of something? Well, go seek reconciliation. He doesn't give us any other options. So before we get towards the closing of this lesson, let's just take a look, a quick second look at the consequences of each decision. The consequences of going and seek reconciliation versus the consequences of not. Okay, so if we do if we do go and seek reconciliation with someone, what are the consequences? Well one, it can hurt your pride. Well big deal, who cares? We we have to be humbled to be part of the kingdom. Jesus makes that very clear. Without humility we can't be a part of the kingdom. You've got to have your pride hurt to be a part of the kingdom. Another thing, what if the person doesn't accept the reconciliation? Well, could that happen? Definitely. Um, we remember the parable of the rich man and the beggar, where the rich man at the end says, uh, let us, just let me go back and let me go back and tell my brothers about this so they can fix their lives. And Abraham says, they have the scriptures. If they don't listen to those, if they didn't listen to Christ when he was here, they're not going to listen to you now. So are there going to be people who just won't listen, who just won't accept it? Yeah. But does that mean you don't have to at least go to the furthest extent that you can to try to fix it? No. You're still held responsible for that. So the two consequences that could come from trying to seek reconciliation will be one, either you have your pride hurt, or also, you could have your pride hurt, and they don't accept it, but you did the best you could. On the other hand, the consequences of not going to seek reconciliation, not being a part of God's kingdom. Um, those are the two options. Either hurt your pride, or don't be part of the kingdom. And so I'll lay the two options out for everyone, and I guess you can choose yourself which route you want to take. Christ cares about where our heart is. He taught us that the two greatest commandments were to love God with all our heart and love other people as ourselves. And if we're holding a grudge, if we're angry with someone, then it's impossible to also be loving them as ourselves. And we can't be a part of the kingdom if we don't take these steps, if we don't also try to eliminate anger at any possible chance. What we have to do about this is we must learn to see each person the way that God sees each person.
we must learn to see each person, each human being, the way that God views each human being. Now, it's easy to say, isn't it? But it's hard to do. In fact, it's impossible to do on our own. That's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the help of Christ. So that's what I challenge. I challenge all of you to do that this week, to seek help from Christ, from the Holy Spirit in this, and being able to see each human being as a child of God, seeing each human being the way that God sees them. And I want you to spend time this week praying about that, asking God to help you do that, because without His help, you can't do it. You can't. You don't have the ability to see each person the way that God sees them without His help. And let's go ahead and get started on that and pray it together now. Father, thank you for this challenging message that you've given us this morning. Um, Father, we know how hard it is as human beings to be able to eliminate anger, not to not hold grudges against people. But Father, that's what you've commanded us to do. That's a requirement to be a part of your kingdom. And Father, we want to do that. And we know that we can't do that without your help. We can't see each person the way that you see them without your help. So Father, we ask that you use your spirit and guide us and help us to do this. See each human being the way that you see them and to seek reconciliation, to accept our pride being hurt and to go out and seek reconciliation with whoever we must. Father, you just told us in this message that seeking reconciliation with someone is far more important than any sacred ritual. It's far more important than any, than any um, procedure in a court case. Father, you tell us to seek reconciliation for any of that. And we ask that you help us to do it. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.